This is In Focus from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. Each episode of In Focus brings you in-depth analysis and perspective from a different corner of our global network of experts. Good morning or good afternoon, depending on where you are in the world. And my name is Edward Blank. I'm a director in Control Risk's business intelligence team covering Southeast Asia. Today, we're talking about Vietnam. Vietnam, which has been a rare COVID-19 success story, the government having managed capably through the pandemic so far, and the country having posted uh, positive economic growth in 2020, the only country in ASEAN to have done that, and one of the only countries in the world to have done that. And while Vietnam's potential as an investment destination is very evident, uh, to many foreign companies and investors, Vietnam's business and political environment is dauntingly opaque and complex. So we are here today to shed some light on those issues. Uh, we're going to be talking about Vietnam's relationships with the US and with China and whether it's been caught up or will be caught up in the tensions between those two big blocks. And then we'll be talking about opportunities and risks. We'll be talking about on the ground, day-to-day -day risks relating to doing business in Vietnam. We'll be talking about um, recent and upcoming uh, legislative uh, developments. Um, and as ever, our analysis is informed by the work we do. So the hundreds of projects that we have worked on over the past year in Vietnam, helping real clients uh, seize real opportunities and overcome real risks. And um, today, I'm very happy to be joined by my two co-panelists, Steve Norris, the head of our GRA uh, Global Risk Analysis, Analysis Division covering Southeast Asia, and Lynn Nguyen, an associate director in our uh, business intelligence team. And Lynn is our lead consultant helping our clients manage partnership risk in, uh, in Vietnam. So welcome, Steve and Lynn. All right, um, let's begin. Uh, let's talk about Vietnam's relationship with the US and China. So Vietnam has a lot going on. Uh, it's a, a key economy in ASEAN. It's a, a, a massive trading partner of China. It's a growing, uh, it's an ally of the US of growing importance in uh, Southeast Asia. And it's a rapidly growing international manufacturing hub. So how does it manage all of these relationships and uh, what are the implications of it being caught up in the US-China tensions? Uh, Steve, do you wanna uh, have a shot at this one? Yeah, thanks. We've certainly seen in the Trump years that some of the optimism around how Vietnam could benefit economically, uh, inward investment-wise from those US-China trade tensions, <clears throat> excuse me, such as through manufacturing relocations from China into Vietnam, it's been, I'd say, undercut based on the conversations we have with companies considering that path, undercut by concerns that Trump's obsession in the US with the trade deficits the US runs with various countries, not just China, could lead to US tariffs on exports from Vietnam going into the US, which are massive for Vietnam, even as they are. So I think with Trump going, we can move past that now and say with a bit more confidence that any hangover for Vietnam-US relations post-Trump under President Biden now is going to be relatively mild. The parting shot of, of the, the Trump government 
of a currency manipulator designation for Vietnam, looks pretty certain now that it's not going to lead to any trade-related repercussions from the U.S. Uh, trade representative's office under Biden. Uh, and if the U.S. continues to put pressures on China through trade restrictions, other other measures, if those if that geopolitical relationship continues to be strained, and the early signs are that it's going to be perhaps in a in a slightly different way than it has been to date, then Vietnam could start to more fully reap those benefits as manufacturing looks more towards ASEAN rather than the, the traditional uh, advanced infrastructure-wise economy of China. And for Vietnam, they've also got the new European Union trade agreement that should start to fire in the next year. I think aside from that, Vietnam's going to look to position itself with the US as the, the strategic partner uh, in the US's efforts to counter China. Given that Vietnam is Southeast Asia's strongest uh, strongest opponent to China in uh, in its territorial claims in the South China Sea, and given that it looks like Biden might be concentrating a little bit more on that uh, and other maritime disputes in the short term. So Hanoi's strategy is going to be to focus on security and diplomacy, I think, and then let that lead more on to US and Western business openings, uh, perhaps in sectors with those sort of strategic dimensions. So one obvious example there's going to be gas, the LNG, and you can look out for US and I think also Japanese involvement to grow in that kind of area. More generally, Japan and, and other traditional investment sources like Singapore, they're going to continue to be the major players in terms of inward investment into Vietnam. Uh, if you just look at the data alone, I think the only real foreign relationship that's going to prove truly challenging for, for Vietnam in the next few years is, is going to be that with, with China. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. you, you... Uh, Steve, uh, don't forget that uh, under um, the previous uh, administration, Prime Minister Phuc was the first country leader in Southeast Asia visiting Trump immediately after Trump took office uh, four years ago. Um, I think it's fair to say that um, Prime Minister Phuc is the friendliest leader uh, compared to peers uh, in the ways uh, his uh, attitude towards Trump administrations. And I don't think we will see the same level of uh, openness from Vietnam's uh, new leadership uh, towards Biden administration, to be fair. Um, so talking about China, uh, you're right, Steve, um, that uh, it's going to be very challenging for Vietnam's uh, leaderships in the next five years. Uh, if you notice, uh, the political reports of the party congress didn't mention much detail about the foreign policies this term because um, we think that the leaders themselves are not sure what they're going to do next uh, because the situation, especially with China, is very unpredictable. Um, Vietnam's ability to balance the relationship between the two superpowers, the US and China, um, its ability to make the best choice out of the worst situation is really remarkable. Uh, however, the dynamic with China this year and the next few years might change, I think because of uh, two main reasons. Number one, as we uh, mentioned earlier, uh, Mr. Qing, uh, he served uh, as a party chief in Guangling for five years, and during his term, um, the province witnessed a high record of um, trade and investment uh, from China. Uh, Mr. Qing is also known as the main architect of um, the controversial special economic zone law, 
which proposed to give access to foreign companies, including Chinese companies, to rent the land in three strategic economic zones for 99 years. This is very unprecedented. Vietnam has never been that open to Chinese company before. Uh, so the draft law faced aggressive disagreements in, from Vietnamese people. And one of the people they blame most was Mr. Ching. Um, so one issue, issue we should uh, monitor very closely um, is any policy relating to investment from China under Mr. Ching term, if his success to be by the key leaders. Another point is that um, the South China Sea issues uh, will likely be more intense this year, given that the um, Chinese Communist Party is going to have a Congress next year. It will be very difficult for Vietnam to even maintain the status quo in the event of more Chinese aggressions. And if you notice, um, Vietnam hasn't had any big development projects for oil and gas exploration during past five years. After the um, Repsol saga, Vietnam really wanted to push for more exploration, but uh, can't do so under China, China pressures. Um, and even just two days before the party congress, two weeks ago, China announced that it will allow Chinese coastal guards to fire against any foreign vessels uh, in disputed water in South China Sea. This is a clear message from Beijing to Hanoi that um, Beijing is not going to let Hanoi's new leaders have an easy year. All right, great. Thank you so much, Stephen. And all right, let's pivot over to uh, opportunities and risks in Vietnam. Where the control risk has kind of earmarked five major global risks uh, for 2021. And one of those is missing the rebound. And what that means is missing business opportunities on the back of the global recovery uh, from from the pandemic. Um, so Steve and Lynn, we've seen our Vietnam uh, case load really spike over the last five years. Uh, so many opportunities, m and opportunities to support partnerships, m and uh, market entry and so on. But one of the things that we found is that in general, our clients have found it more difficult to uh, execute deals in Vietnam than for example, in other uh, major Southeast Asian countries such as uh, Indonesia. So uh, why is this and what can be done about it? Um, Steve, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, well, there are a lot of reasons why new investments, prospective investments come unstuck in their pre-deal phases. Uh, I'll leave Lynn to comment on that in a second. But there are some operational realities as well, I think, worth mentioning in this context that do sometimes deter business investments in those phases uh, and especially expansions involving uh, involving land or uh, build out of operations. So transparency is one. Uh, that's true across the board, I think. Uh, we've seen lots of examples in, well, for a long time now, really, uh, of foreign companies, big name foreign companies, seeking to pick up divestments from, from Vietnamese state-owned enterprises, some of the biggest name state-owned enterprises in very interesting areas of the economy. But they've been deterred by various factors, one of which has been limited access to those companies' inner workings. Uh, not just the not just the books, but lack of clarity over corporate governance arrangements, clarity over the, the the bigger picture of the divestment processes and timelines, and who's really making the decisions on those on those matters. So 
there can be a lot of resistance in the pre-deal phase when it involves an SOE. Uh, and the issue of transparency, I think it, it's not something that's just confined uh, to, to the SOE, uh, SOE market. Another another challenge is, is corruption, whether that's something you've already experienced or whether it's horror stories that you hear around the uh, around the dinner table uh, with others in the with experience in the Vietnamese Vietnamese market. I think it's true as a as a deterrent. A common scenario for us at Control Risks is to hear from an investor or from a regional HQ of a of an MNC that their portfolio company or their local office in Vietnam is facing pressures. Uh, around corruption issues of this kind, or it's already become entangled in them. And then they have to go through a very complex internal and external set of challenges in order to unwind those compliance compliance issues. So that kind of thing, it serves as, as a deterrent factor to operate there, uh, both for companies already there uh, and for those hearing about those stories on the grapevine. Last one, sounds dull, but it's something that comes comes in so often for us, land access land-related issues, any kind of processes, bureaucratic uh, sequences, always worth consideration if, if, if you're going to require that as part of your uh, investment prospect, the difficulties of navigating those. So we've had plenty of cases in which we've seen investments either fail or fall dramatically behind schedule due to land-related issues, whether it's you know on-the-ground issues or whether it's getting something signed off in an office. One of the one of the reasons for that has been the the focus on large, not entirely, but significant to a significant extent, trading of politicized corruption investigations, not just at the national level among the biggest leaders, but also at local governments, where little where smaller scale factions use land approvals and sign offs as a way, and kind of weaponize them to take out their rivals. The upshot is that processes just get bogged down, politicized, and, and, and ultimately don't move. So it's always one thing to bear in mind is how you're going to be exposed to that and who's who in the in, in the relevant branch of the bureaucracy that's going to be handling a project. What's their record, track record of effectiveness in that respect? Okay, great. Thanks. Uh, Lynn, is there anything to add from your side? Uh, sure. Um... Yeah, I think um, if I can just generalize what Steve just laid out, uh, I think the biggest reasons uh, that newcomers or new investors uh, fail in Vietnam is that uh, they came to the country without uh, proper preparation. Um, they came with many assumptions and turned out the country was not as they thought. Um, for example, uh, I went through in, uh, two assumptions, uh, which are very common that uh, we face every day when working with our clients. Um, number one, many people think that uh, Vietnam is a mini China. So if they already had experience in China, they must be able to deal with Vietnam. Um, I could say that mm, Vietnamese government is a lot younger than the Chinese one. Um, Vietnam has just overcame the war 45 years ago. Leadership still has very short-term mindset uh, with the ultimate goal is a planning policy that can benefit themselves and benefit the country during their term in power only. Um, not many Vietnamese leaders uh, having a long-term strategic thinking, uh, so they tend to change uh, policy very often. New ministries do not want to follow up the legacies of the predecessors uh, 
for example, recently uh, we were on many uh, clients who having problem in their investment in LNG sector in Vietnam. As you know, um, Vietnam recently uh, opened or want to minimize its use of the traditional uh, energies and uh, open for lots of investment in renewable energy sector. Uh, and one of them is LNGs. Um, Wise, uh, the Ministry of Planning and Investment like already lay off everything, very favorable conditions for foreign companies to join, uh, to invest in the countries. Uh, suddenly, the Ministry of Industry and Trade, um, they said that they don't want to approve the LNG pricing mechanism because they said they're not comfortable with the mechanism. They said that normally in Vietnam, the price is set by the government and companies just follow. Uh, why this, like, mechanisms although it's like accepted inter internationally uh, Vietnamese government leaders they, they just don't feel comfortable with that so they didn't approve that that's leave like lots of investments stuck there for months uh, without clear uh, guidance from the government um, another assumption is um, which this ones we noticed uh, recently over the past uh, two or three years is that um, when talking about protectionism, uh, people normally mention Indonesia, for example, but none of them really think that Vietnam, the protectionism level in Vietnam could be that high. Um, what is true that Vietnam is very open to uh, foreign investment. Uh, recently, we noticed that the government uh, imply a lot of um, favorable policies, which uh, tend to support local company, as we call the national champions, the private big uh, conglomerates in the countries. Um, this is uh, seeing like a increase uh, trends uh, towards uh, multiple sectors. Uh, and uh, one of, some of them includes pharmaceutical sector, um, automobile sectors. Whereas a lot of our clients, when they already there for 10, 20 years, but suddenly they came to us saying, uh, why the government suddenly changed the policy? It's make our lives very difficult. And we figure out that the motivation behind those uh, policy changes because uh, some big conglomerates just set up the new uh, subsidiaries in automobile sector. So they wanted to have policy that like good for their own operation. And you know what? The question I've been asked most from our clients uh, during past couple of weeks is not uh, who's up, who's down, who's the new leaders after the Congress. But the question they ask me is, is Vin Group going to take over this sector, that sector after the Congress? Um, so I think, yeah, the race of the national champion is also something very important to follow. Uh, so, uh, Lynn, what do you... What do you say to those clients when they ask you about, you know, Vin Group? Um, so Vin Group is a huge conglomerate, uh, lar largest listed private company in Vietnam, and like the sixth largest of any ownership. And I have one joke I often tell our clients is that um, a child can be born in a Vinmec hospital. They could grow up in a Vin home apartment study in one of uh, Vin School uh, 31 education centers uh, and then progress to the Vin Uni shop in some of the Vincom retail um, accumulates loyalty points with Vin ID, uh, communicate with a Vin smartphone, ride a Vin fast uh, electric scooter. 
holiday in a Vinpearl resort and work for a Vintech company. Uh, or the Vin Group has yet to open a funeral service, but it can't be far away. Um, one thing that all large uh, private business uh, have learned over the past decade is that they generally have a free range to make money as long as they play by the Communist Party new rules. Uh, it is an unwritten, unspoken political deal. Uh, as long as Vin Group acts as the party requires, and as long as the Communist Party is happy with that, then their wealth is politically pro protected. Oh, fascinating. Um, okay, uh, let's let's uh, round out opportunities. We're going to talk about uh, legislation. So we all know legislation is a key factor in opening <laughs> and closing business opportunities, as well as creating compliance headaches. Um, so, what are the kind of the recent and upcoming legislative developments that uh, our clients and investors should know about? Uh, Steve, do you want to do you want to go ahead with this one as well? Yeah, sure. New government coming in, realistic to expect uh, various new policies. I think I I should flag two, which I think are going to be uh, most interesting for a, for a number of our of our listeners and clients. First one. One worth watching is the new power development plan that's going to be known as PDP number eight. Due last year, but probably going to be finalized in, in 2021, hopefully in the first half of the year. That's the plan for the next 10 years, targeting doubling electricity generation capacity. That plan, when it does come, is certainly going to open a lot of new opportunities for private investment in the power sector from renewables to the residual investments in those traditional sources that Lynn was mentioning earlier. So the challenges for those of you looking to take advantage of this new regulation, it's going to be to pick your project very carefully. So the tendency with master plans, and I think I always think back to the example of oil refineries uh, in the mid 2010s when I talk about this, has been for projects in those plans that are fixed at the national level to, on the one hand, come unstuck locally, as Lynn was talking about earlier, but for, on, an, on the other hand, to also be forced into comp competition with one another and then for various political rivals, domestic, political, uh, domestic politically connected companies to take an interest and to kind of face off against one another uh, in partnership with some big name foreign, uh, foreign players as well. And a lot of those projects, just they just don't survive that competition. So in your master plan, you know, a national level sign off, it doesn't it doesn't preclude that kind of scenario. Both the central and local governments, they can be susceptible to the lobbying of vested interests. Um, not going to be a huge surprise to too many people. Projects that that are seen as in competition with another that has been captured by those interest groups, they can quickly become entangled in hard to perceive obtuse regulatory challenges. On the other end, sometimes you can expect some of the projects in that plan are going to to varying degrees be designed to favor certain bidders, uh, make it unviable for others. So already you hear some you hear some some chatter about uh, the Tana integrated LNG project uh, with some of the aspirant bidders saying that the, the province's terms as offered to them so far are going to be impossible to fulfill. And the suspicion there is that those for those terms have been specifically tailored to favor one bid one bidder, a well-connected local firm, unsurprisingly. So in short, this power development plan is going to be rich in opportunity for a lot of investors, but it's going to be 
it's going to be something that anyone wanting to do that is going to have to go into with their eyes wide open about the risks and the complexities that they need to navigate uh, if they're going to make a success of power sector investing. Uh, I think one other new law worth mentioning in a little bit of detail here that's going to drive some investment opportunities is the PP law, PPP law, effective this month, uh, last month, January 2021. So that's a formal recognition of the need for foreign capital in, in that space. And that the jumble of regulations, decrees that have been previously in existence were really a deterrent to attracting that capital. Uh, and that the failure of some key projects to draw any bidders in the recent past is something the government needs to take a bit of responsibility for. So if you're going to gauge how successful this new law is going to be, you should be looking at uh, whether the government in, these, in, in the implementation regulations can clearly distinguish between what belongs to the state, the infrastructure itself, and what it has sold to private development developers and their investors in a PPP infrastructure project. So if we use the example of transport projects for uh, for now, you can see, will, will those PPP investors retain the right to collect fees as they operate the infrastructure? Can the government leave scheduled toll-free rises alone? Or will it, will it block those as it's done in the past with, with some highways projects? So what you should be looking for with if you if you have a have an eye on inv infrastructure investments uh, or anything under the PPP umbrella in Vietnam in the coming year is two upcoming implementing decrees. One's going to cover concession agreements. The other will outline the guarantees that the government's going to provide, uh, and they are optimistically expected in the in the first half of 2021 as well. So the key provisions are going to be around restrictions on extensions, amendments, and terminations. Uh, the rules for how revenue increases or shortfalls are responded to, the burdens, the repercussions shared between investors and the state, and the, the nature of the laws under which those kind of uh, uh, um, contracts will be, will be administered. So I hate to repeat myself, but it's really the same conclusion as with the power sector investments. To get returns on these opportunities, the key really is care when picking your project, picking your partner, picking your province, understanding the backstories and the stakeholders and so on. I mean, so many times we've had infrastructure projects that look great at the outset, uh, fall afoul of these kind of political and operational risks, uh, leaving the investors really just scratching their heads. We've discussed politics, international affairs, business opportunities and risks. Uh, can each of you uh, sum up in one to two key points, the, the kind of the, the main important lessons that our clients and potential investors really need to understand about doing business in Vietnam. Um, Lynn, do you want to have a shot at this one first? Uh, sure. Um, I have two points. Uh, number one, um, economic recovery is going to be the main target of the government, of the new leadership this year. So they're going to do everything they can to boost the economic growth this year. Uh, some of them, including uh, pumping fiscal a stimulus package in the countries, uh, encouraging companies to invest more in the countries, um, which is a good news for foreign investment. Uh, however, given the restriction, the travel restriction due to COVID, uh, some foreign companies might have limited uh, limitation in approaching their investment in Vietnam. So that might leave opportunities for local companies, including SLEs, because um, uh, some local company might not have enough uh, financial capi uh, capital to afford those uh, projects. So 
the opportunities might be in hands of the SOEs, which is not something we want to see. Uh, second point is uh, the political uncertainties. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, it's going to be very un unpredictable in the next couple of months who are going to be new leaders in Vietnam. And uh, if you uh, expected that uh, those uh, policies which were stuck during past couple of years uh, could be get uh, could get approval uh, fastly this year with the, under a new leadership, I think uh, that might take longer than you expected. Um, for example, if you have a real estate project in Ho Chi Minh City that you've been waiting for the land approval, or if you wanted to acquire shares in the SOEs that you've been waiting for approval from MOIT, then uh, using the new leaders will approve immediately after they take office. I think it might take longer than that. Great. Let me uh, let me read, let me throw in a, a really quick point to to finish on. I'd say that the businesses they have to be cognizant of the highest level political developments to an extent, and you will hear a lot of a lot of your investor investment partners, others in the market, saying, "Oh, it does you don't need to really worry about that." I think we've spoken today about why well, you should at least be aware of it. Um, but it is a fair point that for the majority of investors, the focus. And the, the bulk of the challenges are going to be in more mundane operational areas, even in a year of, of you know, political significance like this. We haven't spoken of COVID much today, but the emergence of a couple of new clusters recently, one of which was in a foreign owned electronic factory in the north, showed that even though Vietnam is the COVID success story of Southeast Asia, you can't rule out uh, operational disruptions in the, in, in the, in the shorter term. Uh, there's going to be more outbreaks, there's going to be more restrictions, um, for example, on labor, labor movement. Then your main considerations this year should be around who your new stakeholders are in local government, lower levels, ministries, as Lynn said. I think that's where the challenges are going to lie. Um, thank you so much. Thank you, Lynn and Steve, and for all our participants for joining. If you enjoyed what you heard on this episode of In Focus, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen. And be sure to subscribe to our other podcasts as well, such as The Global Insight, our fortnightly panel discussion exploring the impact of the most pressing issues on global business. All of our podcasts are available wherever you listen. Just search Control Risks. You can follow all of our analysis and find out how we are helping businesses build organizations that are secure, compliant, and resilient by visiting controlrisks.com.